Morning, church. My name is David, and the New Testament reading for today is from the book of John, John chapter 3, verses uh, 16 to 21. And you can find that on page 862 of the Blue Church Bibles. John chapter 3, starting from verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. No? Yeah? Is that working? Yeah, good. Excellent. Let me pray uh, as we look at this probably most famous verse in the Bible. Let me pray uh, as we look at it together. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that now you would uh, take out all distractions from our minds and please help us to understand this bit of your word perhaps more deeply than we have before if we think we've heard it and know it. Please give us fresh eyes and fresh hearts to hear it and know it and love it and respond to it. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Open your Bible again, if you just closed it, to that same place, page 862, John chapter 3. And uh, if it helps, there's a really simple outline inside the info sheet for what I'm talking about. What does love from the heart look like? What's your idea, what's your picture of deep, true, heartfelt love between two people? How about this? Darling, you're the most beautiful angel that has come down from the stars to shine in my world. You're so beautiful, so lovely, so radiant, so, so gentle, so perfect that I, I can't do anything except love you. <laughs> I'm all choked up now. My heart has no choice. It's, it's drawn to you like, like iron filings to a big magnet. Whenever I see you, it's like I lose control. I, I go crazy over you. I, I love your beautiful eyes, your, your gentle touch, your soft skin, your thoughtful words, the, the smell of your hair. Your smile leaves me paralyzed. I'm, I'm so deeply in love with you that even if I wanted to escape your love, I couldn't. That's what I say to Rebecca every morning. Over... <laughs> no, 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 no. 
But, you know, if that is what true, deep love from the heart always looked like, then we would all be going to hell. Because salvation can only come from the heart of God, from His love, which is greater than all other love. And God's love is not like the love that I just described. And if you want to gain eternal love, then you need to know about the deep, true love of God and what it means for you and for me. And that's what we're going to look at today from John chapter 3, that little passage, just five verses. Uh, last week, in the first half of the passage, or first half of the chapter, we, we listened in to the, the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, uh, who was this powerful religious leader, but he couldn't understand what Jesus was telling him about how you enter God's kingdom. Okay, so basically Jesus told him two things about how you can enter God's kingdom And the first one is that you can only enter if God's Spirit makes you new on the inside and washes you clean. Uh, That's what Jesus means by being born again. And the second thing that Jesus tells him, I'm sure Jesus knew that Nicodemus was not even going to begin to understand this. Okay, It's, It's in the two verses just before our passage for today. So have a look page 862, have a look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal, so everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I reckon at that point, Nicodemus is going, I have no idea what he's talking about, like, must be lifted up? What's that? Uh, Maybe that's why we don't hear anything more from Nicodemus. Maybe at this point he's just backing away slowly, you know. Now, I think eventually Nicodemus does understand, but like a few years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection. But John, who wrote this account of Jesus' life, he doesn't want us to have to wait until the very end of his gospel before before we understand what Jesus has just said. And so in this little passage today, verses... 16 to 21, he gives us this crystal clear explanation of exactly what Jesus was talking about. That is, John explains how it's even possible for people to be saved and exactly what we need to do to take hold of that salvation. And the heart of that explanation is in John chapter 3, verse 16. Most famous verse maybe, in the Bible. And this really is the essence of the message of the whole Bible. Uh, I reckon if more people really understood this verse, they would be breaking down the door to find out more. Now, uh, as James mentioned before, um, all of this year we're preparing for our regional mission next year, 2020 mission, John 3.16. And as part of that, Peter Lynn has prepared a little, very simple, visual way of explaining the good news of Jesus using John 3.16. Some of you have seen it already, but one of our goals is that every single member of St. Barnabas will be able to share their faith in Jesus using this little, simple, visual thing. It is 
not complicated, right? You don't have to memorize lots of stuff and lots of Bible verses. All you need to do is know John 3.16 and be able to draw a stick figure. That's it. That's it. Okay? Uh, I had a go at it. So you're going to see it now. I'm going to show you. This is not a slick professional video. It's not meant to be. I like whipped it up with basically no prep. Because the idea is to show you how you can use this to talk about Jesus and what he did. Uh, so have a look at it. And, and if you're really not sure what Christianity is about, this is where it all starts. Okay? Thanks. There's a verse in the Bible that explains why Jesus came and what the message of the Bible is. And it's from John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I want to draw a little stick figure diagram to help explain what that verse means. So it starts off, For God so loved the world. That's actually amazing, because the Bible also tells us that the world has rebelled against God and rejected him. So God is our, our creator, he's our king, he made us so that we love him and live for him. But the Bible tells us that all of us have rebelled against God and, and we don't want him running our lives. And because of that, we're all under God's judgment. And when we die, we will face his punishment in hell for rejecting him. And so it's amazing that this verse tells us that even though we rebelled against him, God still loved the world that he made. And then it goes on to tell us how God loved us. So it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And so that's saying that God loved us by doing something really costly. He gave up the life of his own Son. And that's why Jesus came into the world. Jesus is God's eternal Son, who God loves more than anything else. And yet, because God also wanted to save us, he gave up his own Son to die on a Roman cross. And so when, when Jesus died on the cross, he died instead of us. He took that punishment, that judgment that we deserve for having turned away from God. And Jesus took that on himself when he died. And because of that, we actually now have two options, each of us. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, we each have two options now, because if you don't want to do anything with Jesus, if you reject Jesus, then you're still under God's judgment. And if we turn away from Jesus, we will still perish. We will face God's judgment in hell when we die. But because Jesus died for us, the Bible tells us that anyone who believes in Jesus, instead of perishing, will have eternal life, will be raised to new life after we die with Jesus. And all we need to do is believe in him. That is, 
turn to Jesus and trust him as our saviour and king. And it is the best thing in the world to have that assurance of knowing that you have eternal life. So can I ask you whether you'd be willing to consider that, turning to Jesus to find life? And, and if not, what's stopping you? One verse and draw a stick figure. That's it. Okay, that was pretty dodgy. I'm sure you can do better. Uh, we'll work on it together, won't we? God loved the world. Do you get just how unlikely that should be? God should hate the world like the world hates him. And, and do you get why it says God loved the world, not God loves the world? See, this is about something that God did in history. The, God loved the world with an act of self-sacrifice and self-giving that is more amazing and more costly than we can ever imagine. Okay, God didn't love us by saying, I love you. He didn't love us by holding out his arms for a hug. He loved us by sending his precious son who held out his arms to be nailed to a cross so that he could bleed and die for ignorant, selfish, corrupt, confused, lost souls like you and me. You know, I, I don't care who you are and how good a friend you think I am. I don't love you enough to give up one of my kids for you. And yet God gave his one and only beloved son for a rebellious world. See, how is it even possible that wicked rebels like you and me can be saved from God's judgment and find eternal life? It's only possible because God made a decision to love us anyway and to bear all the consequences of our rebellion in himself. And it's only possible because the Lord Jesus entered our world and gave up his life in exchange for ours. And he drank that judgment of God against us. This is an utterly staggering kind of love. And the rest of this little passage, the other four verses, really just explain that beautiful, brilliant summary in verse 16. Uh, and the explanation is very helpful because it clears up two wrong ideas that a lot of people have uh, about God's love and how we can be saved. Uh, so it's really important that we don't get these two things wrong. So first of all, in, in verses 17 and 18, John tells us more about the mission of the Lord Jesus, uh, that is, that he was sent by his Father into the world, not to condemn, but to save. So have a look at, at verse 17 in your Bibles. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that's great news, right? But if you just read this verse on its own, you might get completely the wrong idea. See, the first wrong idea that people have is, is they think, oh, so the Bible says things like God is love and God loved the world. Oh, so that means that God is smiling on everyone. 
Okay, they, they think it means that God's not going to condemn anybody. We all must be his children. That's the warm, cuddly, teddy bear version of God. Uh, he, he loves everyone and he isn't angry at anybody. After all, Jesus came to save, not to condemn. But listen to the next sentence in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned... But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So what's going on here? Why why does John say in verse 17, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world? Well, it's because the world was condemned already. Okay, Jesus didn't have to come so that the world would become condemned, go from kind of saved or neutral to condemn. The the world was already condemned without Jesus having to come. The reason Jesus came the first time was to make it possible for those condemned people to be saved. This, This was this amazing, wonderful rescue mission. But there is still a day of judgment coming because Jesus is going to come again. He's going to return as the judge of all the world And not everybody has accepted his rescue mission. And so we're we're not going to turn to it now, but in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about that day when he will return in glory and he says that he will separate people like separating sheep from goats and he will send some away to eternal punishment and others to eternal life. In fact, because Jesus came on this rescue mission to save those who believe... That means those who reject Jesus and refuse to believe are doubly condemned. That's what John tells us in in verse 18. See, he says, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. They were already condemned by being part of a rebellious world and now they've also rejected the Saviour. See, God loved the world with an overwhelming, costly, unimaginable love, but that's not the same as saying God's smiling on everyone. And that difference is so important that I would actually be hesitant to say to an unbeliever, God loves you, unless I can at least explain the whole gospel and say more than that. Uh, Let me explain why. See, there are a number of ways in which it's true to say that God loves everybody, and they're in the Bible, okay? Uh, God loves everybody in the sense that He gives good things like rain and sunshine to both the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what Jesus says. Uh, God loves everybody in the sense that He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. God loves everybody in the sense that He loved the whole world by giving His Son. And everybody is part of that rebellious world that God gave His Son for. But there's a very special personal love which God pours out on those who turn to His Son Jesus and trust in Him. And that's a love that's only for them. That's the love which actually forgives us and washes us clean and accepts us and embraces us 
as God's children. Uh, And so that's why, along all those other verses, Paul can say in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church in a special way, not the whole world, and gave himself up for her. Or in my growth group this week, uh, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, where uh, we see God's lavish love. That was Natasha's phrase, thanks, Natasha. God's lavish love for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Listen to what he says. This is about believers. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. See, these are all ways of of describing how God pours out his special love on all those who turn to Christ. Now, if you just say to someone who's not a Christian, hasn't read the Bible, if you just say to them, God loves you and nothing else, what are they going to think? Well, they're going to think, oh, that's great. I'm right then. God loves me. God accepts me. God's my mate. You know, I'm, I'm right. He's, he approves of me. He's not going to punish me. And yet, if they don't turn to the Lord Jesus, none of those things are true. Uh, Don Carson, who's very famous Canadian Bible scholar. He tells a story about when he was studying in Germany and he got to know a West African man. Uh, They used to go out for for meals every week together and this African man had been raised in a Christian mission school. Uh, He was married but his wife was in London studying to become a doctor. And after a little while, Don Carson discovered that this African man was regularly visiting the red light district to visit prostitutes. And so one day Carson asked him what he would do, what this man would do if he discovered that his wife was sleeping around with other men in London. And the man said to him, oh, I'd kill her. And Carson said, well, that's a bit of a double standard, isn't it? And the guy goes, no, you've got to understand. In where I come from in Africa, the husband has a right to sleep with many women, but If a wife does it, she must be killed. Don Carson said to him, but you grew up in a Christian school. You know that God doesn't have double standards like that, don't you? And the man said to him with a big smile, ah, God is good. He's bound to forgive us. That's his job. What a tragic mistake to make. God does love rebellious sinners with this amazing, generous, welcoming love. He loved a rebellious world by giving up his son, but that doesn't mean that God has to forgive you even if you keep blatantly ignoring him and telling him to get lost. It's not his job to forgive you. You don't automatically go from condemned to saved because Jesus came. But you do go instantly from condemned to saved if you believe in Jesus. That's why he came. 
And that relates to the second wrong idea that people have, which is about uh, what we need to do to be saved. But before we get to that, uh, let's have a quick look at verses 19 to 21. So here, John is comparing those groups, two groups of people he's just talked about, those who will be condemned and those who have eternal life. And he's talking about what's the real difference between those two groups. So have a look at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, uh, the light in these verses is a way of talking about Jesus himself. Jesus uh, is life and truth from God, like light shining in a dark world. And so John tells us two things about people who will be condemned on that last day. He tells us, first of all, in verse 19, that they love the darkness. That is, that they actually love doing evil. That's why they do evil things and live for themselves. And secondly, in verse 20, he says that they don't want to come into the light. That is, they they hide from Jesus. They reject Jesus because they're afraid of the shame which might come if Jesus actually exposes what's in their hearts and in their lives. And that's why they're still under condemnation, because they hide from Jesus, they reject Jesus, they live as rebels. I think that's helpful when we think about why some people don't believe in Jesus. Okay? So, sometimes we think, we look at them and it looks like they've just gone through this completely rational, logical process. Okay? They've, they've looked at the evidence for and the evidence against Jesus and they've gone, rationally, the evidence for just doesn't convince me. Now, they might have done that, but what John tells us here is that there is always a moral element behind people rejecting Jesus. That is, behind everything else, they actually love living without the true God in charge of their lives. And they don't want Jesus judging what they're doing with their life. Well, that's the first group. So what about the people who will gain eternal life? How are they different from this group? This is where it gets a bit surprising, okay? Because in verse 21, it's like Jesus almost says the opposite, but not quite, not quite. Uh, So we're going to look at verse 21 again. But I really hate doing this. Um, I'm going to put it up in a different version, the ESV, because... The NIV is just not very helpful here. In fact, if you have your own Bible here it's in, and it's an NIV, I'd almost encourage you to get out a pencil, just a pencil, and not on the church Bibles, please. And, and just put brackets around right near the end of the verse where it says, the sight of. You could put brackets around those words because really it just says, have been done in God, in God. Okay, I'll put up the ESV translation, uh, which is just a bit more helpful here. Okay, so verse 21, second group, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So uh, what's he saying about that group of people who do what is true, that is the ones who've turned to Jesus 
um, and they're living for him. Well, again, he says two things, and it's kind of in reverse order from what he said about the first group. So I'll put up that list again. First of all, he says, they do come to the light. That is, they don't run away from Jesus. They let the light of Jesus, they, they, they let Jesus shine his light into the dark things in their hearts, even if that's hard and shameful, so that Jesus can change them. Okay? And the second thing, well, you know, we'd expect him to say they love doing good things. Okay, we'd expect him to say, remember that first group, they're condemned because they do evil works. So you think he's going to say, oh, and they do good works, but he doesn't say that. What he says is that they really want people to know that their new life, their deeds are in God. That is, their new life doesn't come from them, it comes from God, it's all from God. And it's all in God. See, let me put it this way. What's the difference between unbelievers and followers of Jesus? It's not that they're bad and we're good. It's not that. It's that unbelievers are bad and don't want to come into the light. Believers want Jesus to shine his light on our badness. That's what we want. And... And where our lives have changed, because Jesus will change your life if you come to him. You, you will start living differently. And where that happens, what we want people to know is, that's not because I'm good, it's not from me, it's all him. It's all God. And if you're a Christian, let me just ask you, does, does verse 21 describe your attitude to Jesus at the moment? Are you coming into the light of Jesus always because you want, to, you want people to see how God's working in you and you want Jesus to flush out that darkness and, and keep on changing you on the inside? Because we can all, always be tempted to go back to hiding and to shameful things that we want to try and keep from Jesus. That, that's what our sinful nature wants us to do. Um, now, I want to say, if you're a Christian and if right at the moment you're... Uh, you're trying to hide from Jesus in some area of your life, you know that's a really dumb and dangerous thing to do, don't you? I, I don't need to tell you that. Jesus knows you anyway. He sees everything inside you. So come back to the light of Jesus. Come back to the light of Jesus, even if it feels shameful because his love drives out all fear and shame. Uh, and the best way to do that really practically um, is to share it with a, a Christian friend or your, your leader or someone like that and get them to pray with you and to, to help you. But come back to the truth of trusting in Jesus. So after all of that, um, what's, what's the second wrong idea that people have, that a lot of people have? It's that the thing you need to do to be saved is be good. So many people think that. The thing you need to do to be saved is to be good. But over and over, John says, no, no, you're not saved by being good. You're saved by believing in the Savior. You're saved by believing in the Savior. You're, you're saved by coming to Jesus and letting his truth and goodness and light and forgiveness shine into your dark heart and bring new life. So that's why verse 16, he says, whoever believes in him, shall not perish. Verse 18, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
And even when you do believe in him and you come into the light and you're, you're born again and you start living a new life, you don't suddenly start boasting about how good you are because you're not, right? You want everyone else to know that it's all from Jesus. Your new life is in God. But let me finish by coming back to God's heart of love. Remember the picture I painted at um, the start of those things that I say to Rebecca every morning? You're so beautiful, so lovely, so perfect that I can't do anything except love you. That is not what God's love is like because we're the very opposite of all those things, aren't we? We're, we're not beautiful and radiant and perfect to God so that He just can't help but love us. In a moral and spiritual sense, we're more like ugly, smelly, deformed, disgusting, nasty losers. So if that kind of love was the only kind of love in God's heart, then we would all be condemned to hell. But God's heart of love said, I know you. I know what you are. And I freely choose to love you anyway. Not because you're lovely, but because I am God. And he chose to love us not with a dozen red roses, but with the deep red blood of his precious, precious son, who was lifted up on a cross so that we could escape judgment. That kind of freely given love was the only thing that could possibly save a selfish, wicked world of rebels like us and offer us eternal life instead of hell. And how can you receive that eternal life today, if you never have before, simply by believing in Jesus as the saving Lord? And that's the only thing you do. You can't, you can't add to what Jesus did by anything you do. The only thing you do to receive that amazing gift is come to Jesus, trust Him as the Savior, and let Him fill your life with His light and truth and forgiveness. So let me ask you today, do you believe? Have you turned from darkness to Jesus as your saving Lord? Because if you do, if you have, then you can have that wonderful, complete peace and assurance of knowing that your eternal future is safe with Him. You've moved from condemnation to eternal life. Let me pray and then I'll stay up for a couple of minutes and see if there are any questions. Holy God, um, we, our minds are so small and so often we think we've got you covered and we think we've understood you and yet um, we can never understand that love which moved you to send your precious son to die and take the full weight of your anger against a whole world in our place despite what we're like 
we can never understand that fully. But Father, please help us to accept the gift that Jesus offers us joyfully by simply trusting him, knowing that we don't need to do anything else. And, and we pray that every one of us as we walk out today will know that comfort, that assurance of having the certainty that we've moved from condemnation to life. And we ask this in the name of your beloved son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'll stay up a couple more minutes. Uh, are there any questions from all of that?